Welcome to the Max Finance Podcast, where a certified financial planner and personal finance geek discuss how to make intentional financial decisions that maximize your money and achieve your goals. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Max Finance Podcast. This time, we will be uh, talking through employee benefits. It's that time of year. I think this is, uh, at least in my conversations with a lot of clients, this seems to be a sleeper in that a lot of folks probably just, you know, pick the choices and maybe feel good about it and just move forward and maybe don't have too many questions. Some people certainly have questions, but... uh, Sometimes there are some glaring things that really stand out that make sense for a client or another. But um, in, obviously, this particular episode is really dependent on your employer uh, and what you have access to. So your mileage may vary. But um, yeah, I just thought we would talk through uh, a high-level framework on each one of the different topics, whether it be health insurance, uh, maybe dental vision, life insurance, uh, 401k, some of the other benefits, and so forth. Anything I missed out on that framing for this conversation, Lauren? I don't think so. I think, um, like you said, it's not necessarily the most exciting topic, but... um, I think if you're fortunate enough to work at a at a company that offers benefits, being aware of what they are and being able to kind of maximize your usage use of them is is really helpful and can save you, you know, thousands of dollars a year. Yeah. Yeah. And so what uh, when you think about employee benefits, I guess which one of the several stands out to you? Like what's the, what's probably the the hot button one that most people maybe spend most of their time on. Um, yeah, I guess it kind of depends what, how many options you get, but I would say health insurance is the one that if, you know, if an employer offers multiple types, uh, it's probably the one that requires a little bit the more effort to kind of figure out which one might be appropriate for you or, or best for you, just because there's so many differences between them and different sort of, Yeah just differences in coverage and price. Um, and obviously I think uh, over of all the benefits, I think having health coverage is probably the most important. I mean, I think any person in the United States should absolutely have health insurance or be covered by some sort of health insurance or, or plan. So if that's, if that's if for you, if that's your employer, it's really important to, to have that. And um, so I think, any of them is better than nothing, obviously, but if you have a few choices, um, definitely reviewing them and understanding the differences um, is definitely worth your time. Yeah, and I'm curious, how did you go about filtering through what of the many options? Uh, I mean, how, first off, how many options did you have at your disposal? Yeah, good question. I feel like most places I've worked, so you usually have two or three. Um, what's common now is you'll have one that is uh, what's called a high deductible health plan where um, essentially it doesn't cover a lot of things until you have paid a certain amount, which is called your deductible. Um, And then it's kind of benefits kick in more. Um, So there's high deductible health plans. um, And then you kind of, then sometimes there's uh, like a PPO. I don't know what these things stand for, to be honest, which are probably a little bit, you know, uh, better coverage, maybe higher premium, um, you know, lower copays. And then sometimes there's like, uh, 
maybe it's called like an HMO or some sort of health plan that is maybe um, specific or a little bit more, um, what's the word, limited to the, like a provider or like, like in the US or in the Bay Area, there's like Kaiser, which is a hospital network and insurer. So you have to go to Kaiser for most kind of medical and uh, services. So that's often kind of the three different types of ones that I see. But um, yeah, so those are kind of three choices for me personally. Like it just depends on, I think, how often do you see a doctor or use health insurance, health insurance. If you use it a lot, then it may make sense to pay a higher premium and have coverage that kind of lowers your, um, you know, your expenses when visiting a doctor or getting prescriptions. Um, if you don't go very frequently, then getting something like a high deductible health plan, which typically has lower premiums or maybe even some other benefits, um, such as, uh, you know, being able to open an NHSA, which we can talk about, uh, might make more sense for you. Yeah, that's, that's a good overview. I think that, um, just, just to go back on to some of those different items, uh, that you mentioned, different types, high deductible health plan. Um, you've got that, uh, that deductible and then that a lot of times they have the out of pocket, uh, maximum, uh, the limit that uh, is helpful to know as you're comparing and contrasting. Um, I think it's a legal requirement that they all have this sort of format and they're supposed to be displayed in a certain way. So it makes sense to, to compare and contrast one versus the other. It's crazy how many different line items there are and, mm -hmm. and just kind of having to go back and forth, back and forth. Um, and and figure out which one has, has better coverage. But I, I think like like you're saying, I think it really comes down to uh, what is your need or just the amount that you're comfortable with, that peace of mind that you uh, might have. So the PPO is likely the the most um, flexible and likely the one that's going to be the highest cost because that doesn't require that gatekeeper, the the primary care physician to go and uh, check off and and say, okay, yeah, you do need to go to a specialist. You can go to a specialist. Um, they're a little bit more flexible in terms of how to network. Uh, the HMO, uh, you know, like you're saying, like a Kaiser, I'm, I'm sure there's so many different types um, uh, all around the country, but, uh, you know, you likely have to go to that particular, um, uh, network of, of specialists or, or primary care physicians, and you have to go through uh, primary care to go to your specialist. So, um, and that one might be a little bit more middle of the road. Um, things are changing, it seems by year by year, it depends on the states, uh, if there is coverage from the uh, marketplace, uh, healthcare marketplace in that state. Um, it, it's, it's just amazing how, how different those, uh, those policies can, can look. But, um, you know, in the case where you, yeah, again, I think the first filter has to be the, the use. And then from there, if we look at it, Maybe we talk about it more generally. Let's say, don't necessarily use or go to the doctor as 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 much, or, or don't have any underlying health conditions uh, that you know of, um, and you want to be a little bit more financially savvy. Like, what what are the elements that like why would why would you want to go with a high deductible health plan versus other than just simply the cost? Yeah, I mean, besides the cost, which I think can be pretty significant, um, right? So if you know, if, if that savings is kind of passed on to you as the employee, you know, you might benefit a lot by having lower kind of monthly premiums. But um, with a high deductible health plan, you're eligible to have a an HSA, which stands for health savings account, which is um, an account where you can contribute money to it. 
um, and that money is tax-free from a federal like IRS standpoint, and it could be tax-free depending on uh, your state. So you can make contributions to it tax-free. And the, the kind of purpose of that is that you can put money aside. And then the idea is that if you incur a health expense um, that you have to pay out of pocket for, because maybe, you know, you had to have a copay or again, you know, with the high deductible health plan, a lot of things are not covered until you pay a certain amount. The idea is that you can take money out of that account to pay for those things, um, assuming that it was for some sort of el- eligible expense. Um, sometimes, employ- sometimes the the you know the 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 cost savings of a high deductible health plan can be so great that employers might even put money into your HSA for you. Uh, like my employer, they put in one thousand dollars into the health plan for me, um, no matter how much I decide to contribute. So that's a thousand dollars tax tax free. Um, and then I think as an employee, I can contribute another twenty six hundred dollars or something. Or is that right? Uh, Thirty six like fifty is the total, total inclusive right. of the match, right? So for, um, for self, for your individual, right? Just seventy three hundred for families. Yeah, so you can kind of put you can put money aside tax free. Um, you can use it to pay for health expenses. But one of the things that you can do also do is you could also, even if you have a health expense, choose not to take the money out of the account. Um, that year, you can you can take the money out of the account anytime later. So it can almost function as sort of a an additional retirement vehicle. I mean, it's not necessarily related to retirement, but it's a, it's a special account where you can put money in tax free. It goes tax free. And as long as you use it for a qualified health expense, even if that health expense has been incurred long, long time ago, um, the withdrawals are actually tax-free as well. Um, so that's something that, you know, for people that don't go to the doctor very often or don't anticipate it um, can can be pretty compelling. Yeah. And so it's a couple of things. So it's worth noting that uh, the difference, once you go on a high deductible health plan, the the requirement is is pretty great so if you do actually end up having to go uh you know that deductible may be much higher than what you may see in a, in in a non high deductible health plan so i mean that's the whole reason why it's named that right so it's just important now there likely will be some contracted rates between the provider it's not like you're just going in there without insurance whatsoever. And so there are those maximum caps, but yeah, the HSA is very compelling. Uh, if you're otherwise very healthy and very limited use of the health system, um, that, the also, the, the other caveat I do want to mention is that a lot of, uh, the preventative stuff, again, it really depends on the plan, but can be covered uh, that I've seen. Yeah. I was going to say that that's an important call out is that most plans like cover almost well in my experience they all cover like all of preventative um things because they want you to stay healthy they'd rather you see the doctor once or twice a year it's just a normal checkup than to than to wait until you know something is really wrong and then go to rush into an emergency room or something like that so um, it doesn't mean you can't see the doctor or that you necessarily will pay every time you see the doctor if it's just like a normal uh routine physical that's almost always if it's considered preventative it's usually included um for free yeah. And then going to the HSA, you know, I, I've, I've actually, when I was working at Vanguard, they would make you, they would put certain contributions in if you did certain activities, like going, going to the gym, like two days of the week or mm-hmm. buying a, a fitness, uh, 
uh, you know, wearable and linking it up to the system or, you know, all of these different joining a gym, like all of these different things, like going, get, getting a physical or getting your blood drawn or whatever it is. And they put, you know, 25, 50. Um, I, I know some others just, just do put an outright contribution regardless of how much you've contributed yourself, which is also very nice. Um, so some of them, you know, again, make you play some, some games to get that, but it's free money and, uh, you know, again, for your benefit. So, um, a great, great vehicle. Uh, you know, you can, you can invest those dollars too, right? Yeah. And yeah, exactly. Um, usually the plan, those definitely require you to keep some amount of money in some sort of cash, but like once you reach maybe a thousand dollars, $2,000, they'll offer, um, some index funds or something that you can often invest that money. in, so it can grow, um, quite a bit. And that, 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 that that's the thing that, well, makes it, I think, compelling as a kind of investment vehicle is because you can invest it in some sort of fund that will, um, where we would expect growth over a over a long time horizon. So, you know, if you think about it, like an, an IRA, you can contribute, is it $6,000 a year right now? Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, $3,600 is not the same, not quite the same, but it's just, it's something that's, I would say it's uh, definitely beneficial and it's uh, better than nothing. And so, you know, if, if you do have a high deductible health plan, um, I would absolutely consider, strongly consider um, using the each of these in the HSA option. Yeah, and I'm sure we could spend a whole episode on the HSA, but um, I mean, we, I believe, covered this in a prior episode, but there is a cool trick that you could use with the HSA um, where you're allowed to reimburse yourself for expenses uh, later down the road. Yep. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I'd mentioned it uh, just briefly, but basically, yeah, when you ha when you incur a health expense that's eligible, the I, the purpose of it is that you withdraw the funds and and pay for it. But there's nothing that says that you have that you have to withdraw it then or that year at all. So as long as you keep a receipt, you can if you have a health expense for you know one hundred dollars this year, that that one hundred dollars you can withdraw um, at any given point in the future um doesn't matter so as long as you keep the receipt and so five that, years down the line yep you wanted to tap this money for for whatever reason you just save your receipt uh and of course you know it's 2022 so maybe do it digitally email yourself or have the uh yeah i'm sure you've got a, an emailed or a digital version uh you just show the the administrator that of the, the plan and then you can get that money out uh, I think a, an important caveat here is that if you are planning to invest those dollars, that I, I still think that the goal timeline uh, is important. So uh, at the time of this recording, everything seems to be going down in the stock market, the bond market, uh, you know, inflation's high. And so it's, it's, it's a crazy market. So if you plan to tap that money in the same year and you're 100% exposed to the S&P 500. I guess that's why they're trying these uh, particular plans are, are being a little parental and require you to have at least a thousand or two thousand dollars or whatever it is in your plan in cash. But uh, just just make sure you're planning just like you're doing any other goal uh, if you're planning to use this money. Um, in the shorter term and so always always keep keep that in mind of of the uh you know it's not not exempt from from risk in, in the markets there yeah so anyway i would you know like the way that i think about comparing the the each of these plans are you know you can think about for, for my personal example for instance um 
my employer gives me $1,000 tax-free, I can put in an additional $2,600 tax-free. And so, you know, depending on your marginal tax bracket, let's say you're in the, you know, 25% marginal tax bracket. That means, um, you know, if that means I get basically by making that $2,600 contribution, I get a 25% kind of discount on my taxes. So that's, I don't know, approximately $650 or something like that, I think. Um, so I'm already up, you know, $1,650. Um, so even if I, you know, assuming that the premiums are the same, um, you know, even if I incur $1,600 additional dollars of expenses under the high deductible health plan, that would be kind of break even, I guess. So even if I, you know, spend a thousand dollars additionally. Um, and again, thinking about like how I'm paying a thousand dollars more than I would have been paying under the uh, kind of equivalent or the alternative, I guess, and to come out ahead. So, for instance, so I guess in my situation, you know, even last year I had to go see the ER, I had some infection, um, and I got a bill for two thousand um, dollars. So, it was like kind of, I think I just barely i forget actually what we had said but even then which is kind of almost like not certainly not the worst case there's obviously you can spend a lot more but just going to the er is generally like the worst case scenario in terms of costs and stuff like that um yeah i think i kind of broke even or something like that year but most years before that i i rarely had to you know i would see yeah maybe see the doctor two or three times a year maybe do one kind of visit to the uh general practitioner maybe a couple follow-up about random things and you know maybe spend three hundred dollars or something out of my pocket but then still you know get that thousand dollar contribution from my employer and then lots of money that you contribute yourself so again even if you don't get any contribution for your employer um and even if you're in a lower marginal tax rate you're still you know can be a five six hundred dollar savings every year um so it really depends on on kind of what services you need yeah, yeah. Not to mention the, the the glaring fact that the usually the the cost is going to be less in the uh, higher deductible plan um, uh, from a, a paycheck standpoint. So, yeah, that plus the contributions you have, plus your uh, the tax discount, plus any contributions to the employer. I mean, it really adds up. So, and the ability to use those uh, those funds in the future. And I know a lot of. It's interesting how people view insurance. I mean, I think health insurance, probably not so much because it can be so front and center. Um, but you know, those premiums, if you add them up over the years, uh, and anything really, that can be a lot of dollars. That's why, uh, you know, insurance companies make a lot of money and, and, uh, but, um, yeah, again, that HSA allows you to keep, keep some of those dollars and use them for the future. So now, last thing I would say is the one downside of having a high deductible health plan is, if you kind of need to see the doctor or you think you should see the doctor, but it's not life threatening. So for instance, I had some skin irritation or kind of like a dry skin for a while and it didn't really bother me, but it bothered my wife more than me, you know, going to see the, like seeing a doctor about that is like, you kind of have to decide how much is it worth it. But I, honestly, what's, what is unfortunate is you don't know how much it's actually going to cost. So oftentimes with the PPO, if you go see an in-network doctor, it might just be a flat, $20 copay. Like, you know, it's going to be $20. And that's great knowing actually how much it's going to cost. If you're seeing an even in network doctor, it's usually something like you, you just, nothing's covered until the, you meet the deductible. And they're not able to, they, I don't know. I don't, you can't really get a quote up front for how much it's going to cost to see a doctor. Yeah, it's so, so weird. Terrible. So, you do that for everything you know, else, but um, you, you can't do that for just, 
hold your breath and you know i got a bill for 110 dollars, and that was actually pretty reasonable but you know um it could be much worse and i don't know what you can do about that so that that's that is one thing that's that's obviously and unfortunate is that a lot of the benefits of of again non-preventative uh doctor visit it may not be covered until you meet the deductible and you don't know how much they're what they're going to bill and again what that contracted rate is with, with the insurance company so it, you know that that is one downside for sure and again even if you do that a couple times a year you're still probably going to come out ahead but i just hate going in situations where i don't know how much something's going to cost ahead of time yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. it's it's crazy um i i would imagine certain thresholds they they might but yeah i i was trying to do the same thing and they say, well, we don't know until we submit the claim, and so it's like, I mean, you could, we, I'm sure, we could go on and on about how healthcare in this uh, country uh, needs needs some some work here. So, but um, okay, so I think that's a good summation of the uh, HSA, the High Deductible Health Plan. Let's say uh, maybe you're you're not interested in going that route, or you've always had the lower deductible and just want that peace of mind. Um, you still have the H- uh, the FSA uh, as well. Yeah, so FSAs are available, I guess, for everyone. I think there's like two flavors of it, and I think it depends on whether or not you have an HSA, right? There's there's like a just a normal flex spending account, which you can use for medical expenses. And then if you have an HSA, you ha- you cannot you can only get a limited FSA, which is um, the limited FSA can only be used for um, dental and vision um, expenses. I guess the reason why is that if you have an HSA, the expectation is that that is the funds to use for uh, health and, and medical expenses. Um, so, but you can so you can get a limited FSA, which is just for dental and, and vision expenses. But um, they will kind of work the same way in that you know you make contributions to the account; those are tax free. Um, and then you can um, spend, you can reimburse yourself or spend directly from it with for an eligible expense. Um, those don't have the special benefit that HSAs have where you can, you know, take the money out much later. You know, you need to um, basically, you know, exhaust it every year. Um, so you have to make sure that you might might be inclined to want to max it all out. But if you, you know, don't expect to spend, you know, I think the limit is like 2750 or something like that for the normal FSA. Um, 20, 2850 and 2850. 2850 yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you, you might want to, Oh, I'm going to max it out. But if you're not, if you don't incur $2,800, 2050 health expenses, you usually will, will, will lose it. I mean, most plans have some sort of either like a grace period where you can use it up, you can use it a few months into the following year, or it might roll over or something like that. So there's some opportunity to use it the next year, but it doesn't just roll over indefinitely. So you really kind of want to size it to what you think, which is difficult, I think, for health expenses. You're not, you know, unless you have some sort of chronic condition or you, you know, you regularly see a doctor and you know how much it's going to cost can be difficult. But so for me, I would kind of, uh, I used to wear contacts and so I knew how much my contacts were going to cost every year. Um, and so that, and that's kind of where I set that, that limit. So, you know, it's, it's a tough balance between trying to Mac, you know, make every, every health expense you pay for using an FSA versus potentially wasting some. Yeah, that's that's so true. And, and trying to project that, uh, out. And I know a lot of folks maybe have, maybe if they're, 
just trying to do that estimate and maybe they don't hit that at the very end of the year. Um, I know there's companies out there, uh, for example, fsastore.com. And, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. They try to sell you like $30 bottles of suntan lotion or something. <laughs> yeah, to try yeah. to spend the yeah. uh, FSA dollars. Um, I think that could just give you an idea of what you can spend the dollars on and and maybe uh, maybe good to go somewhere else. Uh, it it is those. pretty liberal. I mean, you can buy Band-Aids and just kind of medicine cabinet anything you would need for your medicine cabinet or first aid kit kind of you know um mm-hmm. it is pretty liberal and yeah i've had some experience because i once left a company right as open enrollment started or i guess once the, the new period started and what's actually unique for the fsa is that you know you, you elect at the beginning of the year or how much you want to contribute each month but usually the funds are completely available in the beginning and so um you could you had some opportunity to use up more funds and you actually contributed. Um, but yeah, anyway, it's just a crazy thing to me that you have to decide at the beginning of the year, how much health expense you're going to incur. And like, I don't understand why you can't like you can, why can't you contribute as much as you want? And then whatever you don't use at the end of the year, why can't that just be paid out to you and taxed, you know, like, mm-hmm. like taxable. I, I don't understand why that doesn't work that way, but um, yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, uh, it's just a slight uh, commentary on the grace period. So apparently you're able to, um, the, the grace period you mentioned, uh, a company can offer a grace period of up to, up to two and a half months extra beyond uh, so that you're able to use the money that you didn't use in the, in the effectively the first quarter of the following year. Or they can allow you to carry up to $570 per year uh, to use in the next year. Yep. Um, but apparently they can't offer both. So yep. it's required to choose, uh, one or the other. So, yep. um, and then you, you met, you likely already mentioned this too, but pre-tax dollars is, is, is the whole mm-hmm. point of, of doing this versus, uh, yep. just, you know, random cash account that you might have. Yeah. And that rollover feature can be really beneficial. Um, so like the, these FSA dollars, both the limited as well as the normal can be used for things like, uh, you know, refractive eye surgery. Um, so I actually did that last about, about a year ago and it's quite expensive. It cost me several thousand dollars and m- more than one year's contribution amount. And so because of that rollover period, I was able to effectively use two years worth of contribution. So I did it kind of like early, I think I did it in February of 2021. So all through 2020, I contributed. And then um, again, all the funds were available Big, uh, all the 2021 funds were available in the beginning of 2021. So when I did the surgery in February, I was able to use the 2020 funds and the 2021 funds to to help pay for it um, and get a nice tax discount on it. That's awesome. Did you have to uh, make a lump sum contribution out the gate for your 2021 uh, amount? No. Yeah. Like I said, like typically it's, you decide how much you want to contribute through the year and then it's deducted from your paycheck and in, in equal contributions. So, um, yeah, I guess, you know, if, if you were to leave for, you know, right after you spend it all, like, I guess that's just money the employer has to make up or something like that. So oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, that's, that's huge. So, uh, was there a reason that you, from, a you went from a low, you went into a low deductible plan from a strategy perspective. Did you do that with the FSA in mind, with the spending in mind or, um, yeah, was there any different, did insurance even cover that or it's just effectively here's the stated rate that we, that's under your vision, right? Not your health. Uh, let's see. So 
it wasn't covered under any insurance. It's it's just considered an eligible FSA expense. Okay. So, so it's elective at, surgery. Yeah. Not required. The, yeah. Right. At the time I had a high deductible health plan, so I couldn't have a normal like a flex spending plan, but I had a limited flex spending plan, mm. which still covers vision related expenses. So mm-hmm. glasses, mm-hmm. seeing an eye doctor, getting contacts, or this surgery. Um so uh I think the contribution amount is the same, twenty eight fifty. Um so but yeah, but the, the nice thing is that it's it's the full lump sum for a whole annual, whatever you plan to contribute for the entire year is typically made available in the very beginning of whatever that kind of, um, whatever in the period that year, we call it, that year, I guess. Yep. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's, that's, that's great. And so, so you knew going into that, the, these next two years, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. And uh, yeah, I basically just had to kind of decide like, I guess one year in advance or a little bit more than one year in advance that I was going to do it. And it's something I've been thinking about for a long time and kind of sitting in the fence and hemming and hawing. And so, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. So I, maybe that's a good segue into vision, uh, vision insurance or dental. Um, I, you know, my commentary here is a lot of clients just usually have either you're going to have it, you want to pay for it or do you not? Um, I, I have seen it in some other, uh, in limited instances to some companies where they have a more comprehensive version and a basic version. Mm. Um, and sometimes that'll require digging into the, the same kind of, uh, summary forms to show, okay, what exactly are you getting with, with the more comprehensive on the vision side? Uh, is that, you know, uh, more like another pair of glasses or a certain amount more going in towards, uh, contacts, um, it's certainly more so on the, I see it more commonly on the dental side to have either a basic and a more comprehensive, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, depending on what kind of work that you may need. Um, and so again, I think the first filter is just use, uh, I, although I think it is probably recommended in every case just to have the base version of that. Yeah. I think the cost is usually pretty minimal and I think it's, you know, I think if you see a dentist twice a year, it's almost always a better deal to, to, um, to avail of the dental insurance. I mean, I think in most cases too, like the networks are pretty, like most dentists are part of most networks. You don't have to worry about that. Or even in the data of network coverage is usually pretty similar to network coverage. Um, so I think it's kind of a no brainer. I wouldn't spend much time thinking about it. I would just do it. Same for vision. Like, well, I guess I don't know. I've been using contacts, so I've been I'm used to seeing the optometrist every single year. So I guess if you have perfect vision, then you maybe don't need to. But I think you, some doctor would recommend you seeing an eye doctor at least once every I don't know few years. I imagine. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, so again, year. it's yeah. it's typically just and again, your employer will usually subsidize a part of it if they're offering it to you. Um, so. Um, yeah, I wanted to touch on that point. So let's bring in, you know, again, this seems fairly straightforward, but let's say you have a partner that is working at a similar type of company. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you how do you go about understanding that framework or electing which one is better than another? What was that process for you guys? Yeah, I think, you know, when you look like usually when you get all of the information about the cost of all the different health plans or all the different benefits, there will usually be a cost for um, just an individual, basically the employee only. Um, there will be a cost for an employee plus a spouse or I guess domestic partner. It depends on kind of what the company wants to provide. And then there will be a, well, there'll be one for a employee plus 
child, I think. I don't know if it's one child. There's just multiple combinations of things. And then there'll be one for just employee plus spouse or just employee plus family or something, like, which is the most expensive. Basically covers everyone in your family. So um, there's basically just different price tiers that includes different number of or types of people. Typically, um, adults are more expensive than children, I think. Um, so you just have to kind of compare and you can look and see, um, you know, what is cheaper and what, what is the best, what works best for you. Um, you know, my experience, employers are more generous in, in, in providing, uh, subsidy to the, for the employee, um, and, and less generous for the employees, um, you know, spouse or children. Um, so in that case, like in, oh, I think we've always, unless maybe except for maybe when my wife first moved here, like when she wasn't working, um, as soon as we, you know, our companies both offered health plans, we were almost always just on our own employees because our you know, own, own employers, because our employers covered almost all of the premium. So there really wasn't much out of pocket if we had to, if we were covering just ourselves, but if we wanted to add each other or add our daughter, it would add quite a bit. And obviously our daughter, she's not working yet. So she doesn't have her own health insurance. So she has to go on one of ours. Um, not yet. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, she's on, our, on my wife's right now. But um, yeah, you just have to kind of look and see. I mean, obviously I can imagine there being um, a, a simplicity to having everyone on the same health insurance, right? I mean, that can, that can especially for things like uh, maybe like a dentist or some sort of, I'm, I'm trying to think about like, doctors that would see all three of us I mean, there's really not that many dentists maybe but even dentists we've been taking her to kind of a dentist that specializes in dealing with children because they're really good at you know entertaining them and getting them to cooperate mm -hmm. so it, that's, that hasn't really been that much of a factor and obviously um so yeah it hasn't it's not really a big deal i guess to have different insurance providers i haven't found like a lot of additional overhead so yeah, and there, there's just I mean, depending if you're if you're new to a company and and you know it's it's it can be some some I've had some clients actually ask their uh, new employer like what what health coverages did you do you have and like what's the the system, um, but yeah, until you start kind of digging in, it can be very difficult to to suss all of that out. Um, but it's been just some commentary on the uh, the different the framework. You know, you you can see I think like you're saying where the the company is pretty generous for their employees when you start adding in. Uh, partners spouses that seems to be a little bit more expensive or less subsidized and then um also children that can be less subsidized but it's interesting that i've seen in a number of client cases where the uh employee plus child or children either child or family um seems to be less expensive than the uh both uh, you know, two partners on one one plan, and so uh, I'm trying to understand the rationale behind that. But uh, especially when kids, I would imagine, go to the doctor a little bit more often. Uh, again, it depends on on stage of life and your own individual health uh, cases there. But uh, maybe it's just when when adults go to the the you know and utilize healthcare, maybe it's more expensive or more comprehensive or something like that. Maybe a lot of the, the children use preventative stuff uh, instead. Yeah, I, th I think it's children. I mean, when children go to the doctor, it's, they cut their, they, I don't know, they, they have a cold or they have the flu or yeah, they, um, are, it's preventative. I think it's, 
I think the cost for, you know, employees and the spouses really, you know, because they're, this is the same price they're offering to every single employee. Right. And so you have employees who, you know, may have a chronic condition, right. Um, or they may, you know, have some serious illness that they get um, diagnosed with. And so, uh, yeah, I, I'm guessing that's kind of why it comes from. It's just more life-threatening injuries happen or li- life-threatening diseases or illnesses affect um, adults mm. rather than children. Yeah, more more cost of care uh, when you're spreading it across a, a, a wide risk pool um, and, and not having the ability on, on if you get an individual policy of, of uh, excluding folks with pre-existing conditions. Um, yeah. And then, and then of course you've got some disparity. Uh, so in addition to just looking at the price, obviously you have to look at the different coverage levels. Um, I, I wish there was, was a quick, easy way to go in and, and say, okay, this, this, and this, I mean, obviously price is a big one. Coverage is, a, is another one, but just, just your overall, like what, which doctors you see, which network, um, that, that could be a factor for some folks. Um, but yeah, just, don't be afraid of all of the details. I mean, I know they, they, there, there is a lot and, um, a lot of times employers will, will have, have things to, to try to make it easier for folks to sift through in either summary documents or, um, again, those, those usually I think it's four or five pages, uh, for each one. And I just have it on multiple tabs and, and just going to work through. Um, and then if you've got another set for, uh, uh, your partner, or your spouse, you know, you kind of, look through some of those combinations and um, ultimately, you know, you, you, you pick one and, and, you know, probably not the end of the world. Uh, you know, you find next year, you can kind of fine tune and say, okay, did I need that level of coverage or do I need more or, or whatever and, and get a little bit better there. Um, there could be some glaring differences, of course, maybe one uh, partner or spouse is in a government job or, um, you know, uh, maybe some sort of nonprofit or something like that, where maybe they're not their salary is not that that high, but benefits are a little bit better potentially, and and uh, that that can be a little easier. So, uh, of a you know, which one do you go on or not when uh, one spouse has has got a better uh, set of benefits, just because that's inherent in the job. But uh, I think the the harder one maybe uh, maybe if. Um, one spouse is is at a W two job, and maybe another spouse is just a uh, a self employed individual, and and trying to figure out, oh, okay, which one do you go? Do you go to the marketplace? I mean, I know I I personally had that that uh, I had to go through that, and that was. Um, I'll tell you what, when you're having to pay your own health insurance, uh, you quickly realize how how fortunate uh, you know you were back in the day when other employers were were covering it. So. Uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing when you look at the, the numbers, I want to say, and, and this is completely out of thin air, but, uh, I want to say like two thirds to maybe even a higher is, is, is likely what the employer is paying. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm looking at my company right now, the high deductible health plan for employee only. I think this is this year's was $700. Is the is the cost the employer pays and the employee is only twenty dollars, so it's like wow. four hundred dollars a year for the high deductible health plan. Um, Man, that's incredible. Yeah, actually, it's the same price for every health plan, but that might be because they include that thousand dollar contribution or something in there. But yeah, it's, all the health plans is about a thousand dollars for the employee only. Um, yeah, wow. double that for employee plus spouse, and so yeah, it's a lot. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, obviously if you need health insurance, make sure you get one. 
I would say pay attention to things like that. What is the out of pocket maximum? Because that is truly the the most that you, as far as you know, should be paying for anything in one year. Um, so the worst case scenario, you you know, you go to the ER and you know whatever and stay there for days or have to get intensive care. Like that's the most you can pay. So make sure you understand that. And you know, obviously, if you do see a doctor regularly. Um, you've been seeing them regularly and you really want to keep seeing the doctor make understand if they're in network or out of network because that can be quite a big difference for the different health plans some will you know, usually will cover a higher percentage in network than out of network so um but like i said you can you know you usually get a minimum chance to change it once a year right so usually you, your, your company will offer open enrollment once a year which is like a, a time for you to change everything um but also there's other situations too, you know, different, they have different, um, called qualifying life events. Um, so that can be, um, I think it really depends on, you know, exactly what all the different things are, or who actually defines them, but things like, um, you know, if you have a child, for instance, or you get married or divorced, um, or, you know, maybe if you're married and there's, and maybe your spouse loses a job or you, you know, something like that, something substantially changes to your life situation, um, that depending on the employer will allow you to re change. Um, it may not every single benefit election, but at least the meta, the, the important one. So, you know, if you lose health coverage because you were on your spouse's you will have an op. You will have the option to enroll in your own um, employer's health insurance, for instance. Um, so, mm-hmm. you don't yeah. have to get it perfect. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. You know, rather than facing, uh, do you do you elect Cobra or do you go on your partner's plan? That can be uh, pretty daunting if you're if you're looking at the cost for Cobra to maintain your existing coverage at your former role. Um, yeah, so so a lot of lot of different qualifying events out there, and and usually there there might be a, a chart that you can reference uh, or some resources that your HR departments put together uh, if you have a company big enough with an HR team and uh, that, that can reference, uh, okay, if you, it's almost like a, a decision tree. If you've done this, uh, okay, you're allowed to make these changes to these sorts of benefits and these changes uh, you, you cannot make. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I think there's some regulation around it. I, I don't have that off the top of my head, but um, I think that, you know, there, there's certain bare minimum things that they have to let people choose and change, um, and, and uh, other. And I think you can always be uh, less restrictive than, uh, or, or, or at least have the bare minimum. Maybe even having more opportunity for folks to change, right. um, but you can't be less. You can't be more restrictive uh, than than what those bare minimums are. So. Um, yeah, that's important. You know, it's interesting. We could we could probably talk about health, uh, dental, vision, and HSAs, FSAs. I mean, for the entire uh, episodes here. But um, if you don't have anything else on that front, uh, maybe we switch over to uh, some other common things. I mean, we have talked about four hundred one k. I think that's probably the next biggest one that folks really look to, um, and probably do uh, a fair amount of, of. Okay, what is the? Is there a match? Maybe they even asked that in the interview process. Um, you know, and I think we have talked about also at length. Do you do a pre tax? You do a, a a Roth contribution or an after tax contribution? Um, I guess what what are, what are the things that stand out to you when you're you know either coming up to open enrollment, uh, or, or maybe more importantly when you have a new job? Uh, I guess that folks should look out for on the four hundred one k front. Yeah, I mean, if your employer offers a four hundred one k match, I think you should absolutely take advantage of that. Um, there's 
yeah, that you, like that's, that's free money. Um, so you should absolutely try to maximize, max, um, maxim, maximize that, max it out. Um, it's something that doesn't require you to opt in for during open enrollment. Um, and it's usually it's a certain amount that's offered every year. So, you know, if you were, for instance, joining a new company at the end of the year, um, and you can still contribute to your 401k because you haven't already maximized your, you know, the employee contribution, like definitely try to get on that quickly to maximize and to, to get that match. Um, so that's kind of one interesting strategy. I, I don't know, like if, uh, if you have, have clients that, I guess, yeah, if, if you know, you're going to leave a company, you know, halfway through the year, for instance, um, just making sure, in, you know, in, in the company you have has a 401k match and the, and the employer you're going to go to has a 401k match. You, you need to have, you need to have space in your, in the employee 401k contribution to make a contribution to get that new match. So just making sure that you don't, you know, max out your 401k contribution before you leave, for instance, because you, so it would allow you to get a match at both places, which, you know, can be significant, you know, $3,000, $5,000, can be more or less depending on what your employer does. Um, yeah, that's yeah. a great, great point. The strategy, um, if you know the the, the offer that uh, the new company that you're going to, it has, it may make sense to throttle back or throttle up, depending. Um, I, I've had a client where uh, they were fortunate to have worked at a company that provided a 50% match up to wow. the legal limit. Um, and then the company they were going to had no match. Mm -hmm. So uh, the other thing that's obviously key in that is that'll throw off your paycheck quite a bit if you're trying to front load it, depending on how uh, early in the year or late in the year that you've uh, that you've left or how much you've contributed. So, um, yeah, that's that's an important consideration uh, as well. I, I think there's lim very limited circumstances I can recall in my you know, recommendations to clients of when you might not want to uh, participate in the 401k. I guess that would be um, very high interest credit card uh, debt or um, yeah, just cash flow challenges. Um, oh, uh, sometimes there's vesting, I guess, for 401k match. Yeah, I was, I was I've never had say. it, but I, <laughs> apparently it's a thing. Yeah, well, not to put some of my former employers on blast, but yeah, working in the financial industry um, that doesn't have instant vest. Um, I, I worked at one where it was six years. Uh, you had to be there for six years in order to get the full vest. And it's a it's a very big name that most folks have probably... Six uh, years. Yeah, yeah. And again, they do that for a living. Uh, it's just mind-blowing. So uh, every, every year you got something matched that had a six-year vesting period. So essentially, when you leave the company, some amount of that is not going to... It's well, return to them, or it's just not never really contributed. Like, did they? No, actually... it was. It was just you had to work there for a total of six years, and so any new contribution, it wasn't like oh, a rolling vesting period. That would have been got very it. worse. Yeah, that would okay. be terrible. <laughs> but if you but, left before six years, what happened? Well, it would be you know like a, maybe or get, something. Yeah, twenty percent, forty percent, whatever, depending on if you hit that that work anniversary to to get into that next uh, amount of vest. So people would that would be part of people's factoring of their when I might leave. It's like okay, how much? It makes sense. I mean, you do that for anything else. Uh, how much am I leaving on the table uh, if I leave? Like oh no, I'll just wait until. And so um, yeah, and it, it it can be. Yeah, uh, I've, I've just as I'm saying all of this, I'm, I'm just thinking back to so many different conversations of people who who have said that to me and yet are still working at that company. And uh, more power to them. More power mm. to them. 
but uh yeah yeah so that could be another element uh is that maybe you're not planning i I don't know why you would have this foresight uh and and know that you're not going to be there to to take advantage of the fall um i've 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 seen some pretty terrible vesting schedules maybe it's like you got to be here for you know four years or else you're not getting any it's it's crazy um some of these 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 companies um but uh, yeah, that may be a limited case where you may not want to. Maybe you've got some other cash flow challenges. Another thing would be if you're not planning to stay in the U.S. for a long time, and, it, and this is definitely getting into deep water of cross-border tax planning, but um, I've had some clients who um, maybe are just here on a temporary visa, work visa, and and they don't plan to be in the U.S. for that long. And um in, in, in some cases, it maybe just makes sense to make Roth contributions where that's after tax dollars. Mm-hmm. It highly depends on the treaty that the government has, the U.S. government has with that country, and uh, whether or not that country has something equivalent to a 401k or not. Um, but yeah, there's been scenarios where uh, it made sense to maybe just contribute up to the match, and then, uh, which could be nominal in some cases, um, and then maybe utilizing a brokerage account in there. But by and large, I think most folks makes a lot of sense to contribute at least to the match like you're saying it's free money um why not and then it, it doesn't even hit the bank account so if you do it soon enough uh, where you're not already used to that standard of living with regard to those dollars coming in it just it makes it you know you don't even see it and it's it's you know working for you um I, i'm sure we could spend a whole episode on the investment side of things on that um most of the time they they constrict you to 20 or 30 funds uh, and maybe they're putting you into a target date fund uh if you don't make an election at all and you just um uh, you know there's it's that's kind of nerdy but uh, there's all sorts of of studies that they've done out there of like where's the perfect place like just should we automatically ratchet up auto escalate their contributions every single year um because they they found and um oh i forget the book uh that, that that was explaining this and i'm sure the audience is is it was explained a little bit further i'll be yelling it's uh, like the power of default or something uh, i don't know his name of book but that's just the concept of if you if you kind of default people to contribute yeah if you that will lead to a higher people of people participating yeah yeah i want to say daniel Kahneman maybe um Anyway, so that, that you opt in, yeah. If you just opt in, how how powerful that is to just getting folks a little bit more ready for retirement and the auto escalation feature paired with a target date, um, you know, it, it it is very powerful. And people again just just don't even factor it in, and how the masses uh, benefit from from those particular defaults rather than just having a default of zero and and so forth. So. Um, yeah, I don't think we want to necessarily get too much into the framing of investment options in this particular conversation. No, I think for that, people can refer to, let's see, what episode would that be? Let's see, we talked about, um, like, uh, well, episode eight was selecting accounts for investment. We talked about different types of account. I think we also talked about pre-tax versus uh, Roth, for instance. Um and, episode uh, six passive six, investing yeah it would be know, like the different types of case types of investment funds that you might want to select within a investment account 
Yeah, and so those are growing more and more popular and, and pretty much are ubiquitous at this point that a lot of folks have, have access to passive investing in their 401k. Um, as I say, you're likely limited to 20, 30 some funds and some of them may be um, more active. And so it's just worth, uh, again, a lot of times employers will give you more of like a, a, a snapshot. And I've, I've had a number, I'd say nine out of 10 uh, folks that the clients that come through the door at uh, 401ks, they'll likely just look to see what the performance was the last either three, one, three, five, or 10 year. Uh, and they'll just park their money if they haven't already made a choice or if they didn't make a choice at all, I should say. And they're just kind of in the default uh, target date, uh, just kind of chasing performance there. And that may not always be in your best interest by going that direction. But uh, anything else on the 401k side before I move off that? No, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, the other thing that maybe we want to get more time to speak on a little later in another a future episode would be life insurance and disability. Um, you know, just general commentary, likely there's going to be some amount that the employer is providing included, whether it be one times, uh, your salary two times, um, and you know, all variations therein, maybe more, um, or maybe just the, the, 50,000, which is like the amount that the, the employer can write off tax free, uh, any, any more than that sort of imputed income. Um, and then the disability insurance as well, talking through like, okay, how much uh, should you have uh, short term, long term? Um, there's, there's all sorts of uh, different definitions of, of disability and, um, depending on who pays the premium is also, uh, the opposite is, is it taxable? So in other words, if the employer pays the premium, those benefits, if they are paid out would be taxable to you. If you pay the premium, then those benefits would be uh, tax free to you. Uh, but yeah, I, I think we want to have a longer form conversation on both of those topics. Yeah. Yeah. I think we'll have the separate episodes on those. Yeah, so stay tuned. More to come there. Um, other benefits: uh, commuter, gym, wellness, discount programs, legal benefits. Um, any of those you want to particularly call out? I mean, I think you know, look into them, be aware of them, um, use them if they make sense to you. Almost most of the ones you just mentioned don't require a decision during open enrollment. Um, I think the only one that may depend is, is the legal benefit. So I guess there's, I guess there's multiple types of legal benefits. Sometimes companies will just provide access to something like Rocket Lawyer, which actually I found completely unhelpful when I tried to use it before, which is supposedly you should be able to talk to a lawyer about something and it just never worked at all. Um, yeah, I, again, I don't know how many, how many employers offer this, but ours did offer something like uh, it was called... I don't know. If the, I don't know if the name is important, but it was basically a legal benefit where you actually have to pay for it. Um, I think it was like fifteen, twenty dollars a month, um, and so you have to do it for the whole year. But um, there's, it, it is does cover like real access to real attorneys, and um, was particularly helpful for setting up um, like our family's estate plan, um, which you know is kind of several documents, including a will. Uh, trust if you want um, like a health directive kind of all these different documents um, I think if you went to a, a lawyer separately it would probably uh, run you several thousand dollars the, the attention to detail and quality might be a little bit better for that but I think you, know, you kind of I wouldn't say you get what you pay for here but um, you know I think if you have a straightforward kind of situation and scenario um, it can be a good it'd be a good value there because you know, I paid $200 for an estate plan, which I think would, you know, cost at least a few thousand elsewhere. 
Um, so that's the only one I would call out that I think could be a real money savings. And that's something that most people probably should think about. Um, and, and, but you know, do it once. You don't really need to, um, do it every year. Certainly, um, you know, every few years, maybe re- review your state plan and, and see that it makes sense to you. But, um, yeah, maybe that's something we could talk about in a future episode in more detail. Yeah. Estate planning, what documents you should have and what show, what to look out for, for sure. Um, yeah, I think that's a hidden gem that a lot of people overlook. Um, and a great way of, in, in most circumstances, if you do have access to that, to speak with somebody rather than just simply, uh, going with an online option, which I think could be could work just as well if you, particularly if you don't have access to something like that through work. Um, but yeah, you, you pay this as you know, it's a paycheck uh, deferral and, and uh, expenses, I should say. And uh, yeah, adding up to a matter of a couple hundred dollars and could could run you a couple thousand if if you're talking to somebody um, outside that. So yeah, um, I think a lot of these are binary. I mean, it just depends on what exactly you have access to, and you know. Sometimes it could be just the benefit of what your company does. Um, but uh, yeah, a lot of time there's a gym benefit, um, wellness benefits. Um, I, I don't think there's anything too crazy on the discount program. Some of the bigger companies are part of these discount pro have, have access to these discount programs. Maybe you get like five to 15 to 20% or something like that from these different. Uh, uh, have you ever gone through one of those? Yeah, it feels like walking into like a i don't know abercrombie and fitch and everything's like oh 30 percent off or something it's just like things are always on sale so yeah i've never found any value there um i mean there's maybe a few things but uh it's it's tough i feel like it hasn't been very there's always like hoops to jump through um it's not like a simple promo code well sometimes i guess sometimes it can be but in my experience i haven't found a lot of value there but you know it certainly depends on the provider i suppose um and, and kind of what what are the things that you like to do but yeah usually there's things like i don't know g- gyms are popular which are you know health uh things um sometimes you can buy discounted yeah health or fitness devices or something um so yeah i personally haven't found anything that i would ever buy from there but you know i can imagine if you're looking through there and Oh, I want to buy this at a discount or something. You might find something that could be of use. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you're right that I I've for a handful of companies I work for that, that have those I've scoured all of their different options and, and, uh, yeah, like you're saying, it's like virtually those products were already added or you could find those discounts, even if you didn't have, uh, access to this, these discount programs there. Um, so I, I almost, uh, when I was, when I was, thinking about this one i was thinking more about the um the credit card uh sometimes they'll have like offers where you're able to if you spend x amount or jump through these various hoops they'll they'll get um but i I feel like that actually may even be more beneficial than um some of the ones that they've got on on offer for uh, those discount programs so um, and I think we did touch on commuter benefits. Um, I mean, again, that's really a function of do you need to commute, especially post-pandemic? Uh, probably most folks do. Um, and okay, well, what does that look like? And what does the metro or the public transit look like in your area? And and uh, yeah, you, d- you would just have to run the numbers on that. And and uh, I, I've definitely, back when I was living in, in SF, I was 
contributing that and, and, uh, had the BART and I wasn't using the BART as much. And, uh, you know, I kept contributing and it was just such a pain to like have to, and then sometimes I would forget to use the card and have to like create, write this, make this form to, to get the money out. And it was like a one-time exception type thing. And it just, it was such a hassle. I just got to the point where I was like, you know what, I, I don't care what the benefit is tax wise. I don't even want to deal with this anymore. So I just, I just can't that, but, uh, maybe others have had more positive experiences. Uh, yeah, I recently had a bad, well, I don't know a bad experience, but it left a bad taste in my mouth where, um, yeah, also obviously during the pandemic stopped going to the office. And, um, so didn't, yeah, didn't ride public transportation, didn't transfer money over from this like stored value card that is that I need to like, it's like a debit card basically that I can use for, I think, and I'm supposed to, yeah. Um, go to the bus providing company and, and, and spend from the debit card. I didn't do that. I wasn't writing transit. And for a while that was fine because of pandemic, they like waived inactivity fees, but there's an inactivity fee of $3 a month. If you don't, oh. if you don't have any activity on this debit card, like why is that important? I don't know. But so after six months of not using it, I was charged $3 per month for six months. And for a so I was like charged like $25 or something like that for several months of not using this debit card. And so, um, yeah. Oh my gosh. So that's the like, worst. Yeah. But, um, I mean, you have a normal debit card and they don't have expenses. Uh, right. I mean, that's how they make money. I think is they offer these programs essentially at probably very, very low cost to, to the employers. And there's kind of these fees that they catch from the consumers or like from the customers, employees. Uh, I mean, usually it's not so bad because yeah, you know, you don't, it's not like open enrollment where you have to decide how much you want to contribute every month. Like each month you can just, just you can stop it or cancel it or whatever. But, um, yeah, it's, it's just a little bit, you have to f remember to use it up or I guess sometimes there's inactivity fees or stuff. So just mm -hmm. watch out. And again, you're, it's kind of, you know, it's, but I guess, you know, 50 bucks a month, save tax on that. Okay, cool. Maybe, you know, 10 bucks a month that you're saving, whatever. Um, so yeah, maybe we got bigger fish to fry. Exactly. Yeah. This just reminds me of, of the times that I was trying to, to utilize that, that debit card in, uh, the, the BART kiosks and then, the the kiosk was either down or did take uh, debit or, or was you know uh, required credit only and those were debit cards so you couldn't use them and it was just uh, not every stop had one of these that worked let alone yeah that had the right one oh man what a nightmare so obviously not glowing reviews for the commuter uh, yeah uh, benefit there but maybe there's easy stuff online that you know and maybe your areas I'm sure maybe in like better public transit cities like like new york uh, it's maybe it's a little easier to, to navigate on all that so um well great um i think we covered uh again stay tuned for the life insurance and the disability conversation which we'll have in a future episode but i think we've covered a lot of and, and primarily focused a lot of the um the conversation around health insurance and just different frameworks and things to consider HSA, FSA. Um, if, if you found this helpful, feel free to, uh, uh, you know, pass it along to a coworker, colleague, friend, family member, maybe that go is going through the same thing. 
Um, just as another layer, I'm sure a lot of HR uh, uh, departments are going out and and giving their whole spiel about open enrollment, and you know maybe you got these different providers coming in. Um, but uh, yeah, just just different ways to to maybe think about some of these benefits that you have access to that you may not have uh, given a second look at. So. Um, Anything else uh, on your end, Lauren, that uh, maybe I failed to mention? I don't think feedback. So. We feedback covered it pretty good. If yeah. we're if we're glaringly wrong on one element, if you're a, a fan of commuter benefits, do write in. Let us know. Feedback at maxfinancepodcast.com. Um, or anything at large, any other uh, topic that you'd like to hear about, please uh, don't hesitate to let us know. Send us, um, and, and maybe uh, we might do in a future episode, no promises, where maybe it's a, a mail bag of, of questions or who knows, uh, uh, a different formatting uh, uh, suggestions and so forth. But uh, anyways, until next time, I uh, hope everybody uh, has, has a great one and we will see you. Thanks for tuning in and take care. We're a new podcast, and it would mean the world to us if you took a moment to write a review in the Apple Podcasts app or share this episode with a friend or family member. We'd like to hear from you. Is there a topic you're interested in? Have feedback more generally? Email us at feedback at maxfinancepodcast.com. Thanks, and see you next time.